The trucking industry is crazy right now, and being a broker can be stressful. Managing our invoices, billing, collecting, carrier base, and cash flow can feel like an impossible task. But I can tell you OTR Solutions has figured out the impossible. They eliminate cash flow problems for carrier payments and ensure margin funding in just 24 hours with broker invoice factoring. OTR Solutions takes care of billing and collection processes with your shippers. And with lightning quick and accurate invoicing, your customers will never need another broker to handle their freight needs. Kick back, relax, and let OTR take care of your brokerage. If you want to know more, and I hope you do, check them out at otrsolutions.com slash freight hyphen caviar or text OTRFC to 80483 to see what they can do for your business. We've partnered with Ascend TMS, the world's most popular and top-rated transportation management system. It's the ultimate tool for all your freight needs. You can use our referral code RA-FreightCaviar exclamation point to receive three months of Ascend TMS for free it only takes 20 seconds to sign up and no credit card is required. You can click the link below to learn more. Matt Perkins, the VP of Operations and Sales at Business to Business Logistics and also the co-owner. Welcome to our show, Matt. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Paul. Great to meet you, Reed. Great great to meet you too. Yeah. Uh, so, Matt, you're based out of Knoxville, Tennessee currently. You're originally from Chicago. You've been featured on uh, many podcasts and logistics. Uh I just listened to the one with uh, the one you did with Ramel from Truck and Hustle yesterday. Uh, so if anyone would like to, you know, get some more in-depth dive with Matt Perkins, uh, definitely check out his other podcasts online. But overall, Matt, uh, could you just give us a quick introduction to who you are and how you got into logistics? Sure. So um, Matt Perkins, co-owner of uh, BTB. My the origin of how I got into logistics came from my college days. Um, I went to a, a somewhat smaller school called DeVry. Uh, they had a lot of, they were known more for technology, but they had a business degree. And the really cool thing is a lot of uh, employers locally in Chicago came after graduates of DeVry. So Hub, uh, Hub Group originally, when they were a lot smaller, uh, they found me first. And I was working as just a track and trace coordinator. Uh, after school, I'd go over to the hub office with the understanding I'd go full time once I graduated. But I I wasn't in love with the position. So another company found me, American Health Products, who unfortunately no longer exists. And they're a latex glove manufacturer in Malaysia that imported the gloves into uh, uh, Itasca, Illinois. So I was the coordinator. I made all the routing decisions from our warehouses to our uh, customers. And just okay. through networking with my air freight agent, I found my first brokerage, who I am still friends with today. Um, my mentor, what I say, uh, worked still owns that freight brokerage. And the rest is kind of history. I bounced around with a couple different companies with regards to either like account management, freight brokering, et cetera. But um, you know, 12 years ago, me and a coworker actually decided we could probably figure this out ourselves. And uh, so we made the leap and started business to business logistics. And we've been doing it for about a little over 12 years now. Very, very cool. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, uh, on truck and also you mentioned there's like around $60 million uh, in revenue. Yeah. So last year we did about uh, 60 billion. Uh, unfortunately, with the downturn, it won't be as high, but yeah. uh but yeah, did about 60 million between. We've got two models. We've got the okay. corporate model where I've got W2 employees. And then I also have an agent program where those that want to be basically freight broker, you know, business okay. owners can come, but they don't have the um they don't have to worry about the cash flow situation. Sure. And uh they don't have to worry about doing all the admin and operations. Cause let's be honest, when you're really good at sales, you're usually really bad at paperwork. Yeah, yeah. Which one is B2B like more focused on? Is it like kind of a split balance or is it do you just uh have like more focus on agents? What does that look like? It's actually a great question. So, you know, it's very cliche for me to say both. Um the thing with they're both different animals. So, obviously when with the employee model, I retain 100% of the profits and then through those profits I pay commissions and bills yeah. and set and etc. So, but I've got a hundred percent control of that profit. So, therefore, mm -hmm. it is more profitable to me. Let's say if all sixty million dollars came in the form of my employee model, it'd be a wholly, it'd be a totally different financial structure. With the agents, it's what I almost call easy money. Of course, nothing's truly easy if it's legal, but the agents come on board, and I don't have to maintain those customer relationships. They do. 
the agents don't get paid unless they move freight. So therefore the risk and the cost is nowhere near my cost as the employee model. So mm -hmm. it's a quick way to grow a company if done right. But, you know, at the end of the day, the employee model is more profitable from a percentage standpoint. Okay. Very interesting. What's your split? What's like, what's the split employee like size wise, like percentage? So of the, of the $60 million? Well, no, not even just above the dollars, just of your headcount, I guess. Oh, so the headcount is pretty substantial. So including me and my partner, we have 16 people that support the corporate model. Now, three of those people on that 16 also support the agent model because they're my accounting department. Or no, I'm mm -hmm. sorry, uh, I have a woman by the name of Nancy who oversees the entire agent department because mm -hmm. to give them the attention that they deserve, I can't devote enough time to that cause. So she does. She is fully engaged with them. So I've got four out of the 16 that work with the agents as well. But with the trying to think with my, you know, some of my agents vary in size. They've got people that work for them. You know, I've got a relationship with the agent owners and I do know some of their employees. But uh, when it's all said and done, I've got about 67 users on our platform, on our TMS. And okay. 16 of those are, you know, get a paycheck from me. Yeah, okay. I, uh, I spent I spent a brief time as an agent uh, for Armstrong Transport. A buddy of mine has an agency there. Um, so I have a little bit of experience in it. And it's it's interesting. And Paul, don't, don't let me don't let me go on too big of a tangent here. So keep asking your questions good. after this. I'm uh, I, I'm very I'm very interested in like, yeah, like you alluded to the agent might not make you as much money like versus a company employee but like it's pretty like you find the right person it's pretty plug and play and it probably doesn't take much work on your on your part so in a perfect world you're able to attract people like that uh who know what they're doing who don't really need their handheld who are just you know using you for the back office and the software and it's just like how do you attract people like that like that's an interesting i'm interested in how you do that i guess yeah. So, I mean, I'll use, for example, uh, my largest agent, um, you know, she just doesn't want to deal with the back office. She loves sales. Her, her history is nothing but sales. So me and her, we get along We're we've, we actually synergize with each other and we, she comes to me for advice on what am I doing as far as like um, different assessments to kind of test an employee's uh, like character. Are they, are they built? Are they wired for freight brokerage? Cause that's all three of us know. It's, it takes a certain mindset to do freight brokering. Uh, not everybody's cut out to deal with what we have to deal with. So we talk a lot, but she just doesn't want to deal with the fine, the cash flow. And she doesn't want to deal mm -hmm. with the back. Office. She just wants to go out and sell. So it, it's great because she's grown a hell of a business. And I haven't had to do much at all. I mean, she came to me as a great individual who had a nice little book of business she had a, she was carving out a nice little you know job for her she's doing i don't know a million and a half two million a year and then she just shot up you know by herself by her own determination but you know i gave her a strong foundation to build off of and then she just took that ball and ran and i didn't have to deploy a lot of resources for it so it didn't cost me much so that's why i'm okay with like those kinds of splits mm-hmm uh, yeah, it's an interesting, it's an interesting model. I, I mean, it's, it's how many people who are in that model for you were working at a, in a corporate, like in a corporate type model before and are like being an, an agent for the first time. So as far as a corporate freight broker, yeah. um, top of my head, one, and he came from a large three letter, uh, freight broker and, yeah. uh, wrote out his non-compete. And then did his thing. Um, everyone else has come to me pretty much. They have grown up in the agent network. Uh -huh. uh, I actually have one guy who was an old trader on the Chicago Board of Trade. He had a seat downtown and he traded volatility, which I know nothing about. <laughs> but he came to me. I mean, he's very forward thinking. He looked one day and said, my job is going to the screens and everyone's able to day trade my job he's like so i'm gonna be out of a job in a couple of years so he 
He actually went and became a CDL truck driver for Schneider, drove around Drayage in Chicago just to stop at truck stops and talk to drivers and learn their plight. Mm-hmm. And he parlayed that knowledge into becoming a, fre- a freight agent. And uh, he was with another company, but they weren't able to really support him uh, the way we can. So then he found us and he's carving out a nice little living doing his thing. So uh, the the summary answer is not many come from the employee model. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to make that transition, take that risk. Um, most of them come from different areas of life or different um, different transportation backgrounds that just said, I'm taking this leap. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious on, on that point, like the Asian model, and even like with like direct employees, do you have like any horror stories that come like, I don't know, come to mind where like something went really wrong with an agent you brought on or an employee and you're like, crap, I need to like implement this into like the agreement or this, we need to have a different hiring practice. Anything like that ever uh, happen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'll start with the agent side first. You know, you as a owner have to be careful who you're onboarding because at the end of the day, you're onboarding strangers. Yeah. And they can say, yeah, I got this book of business. Yeah, I do that. But who knows? And so early on, when we first started the program, we had we had an agent come on board. She claimed she did produce and, you know, she knocked out a couple loads. But then, like, she just kind of vanished and life went on. Well, then all of a sudden, we started checking our bank account. And there's money, like checks being drawn that were not our checks. And we're looking to see what this was. And the first time it was like a $1,700 check, nothing nothing severe, right? And luckily our money, you know, everything's FDIC insured. So we got we got that back. So we're like, that's not right. But then she struck. And I'm while I don't have complete, you know, evidence, um, I'm pretty sure it's her. And then they struck and took like 30 grand. I got all that money back, but what we had to implement was um, some security measures. Uh, It's called check positive pay. And now my accounting department, every time we cut paper checks or ACHs, we have to upload files of the bank. And then whenever an ACH hits our bank account to draw money out of, or a check hits our bank that the amount or the name or the check number do not match any of the records we have, it will kick out a discrepancy. And after I dug in a little and called her former employer, you know, he's like, yeah, that, that girl took me for like a hundred grand. And it was a crazy story. Um, so that, that deployed the need to be a little bit more secure. Yeah. Uh, as far as employee stories, you know, I had this crazy story that I tell often. Um, basically this, this, our first sales employee that we hired strictly to do sales, um, stole money from us but it's the weirdest thing how they were funneling like they were funneling money back to us and it was a whole whole story about this customer owing them money but they were like paying us because they felt bad but they just lied i mean they sent a they sent a fedex envelope and the pro number never originated from the state that the customer resided in. It resided, it originated from a FedEx office right down the street from our office. It was just, it was crazy. Um, nothing really had to be implemented because of it. It's just something you have to be aware of. You know, there are people yeah. out there that will do unscrupulous things and you got to pay attention to that. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I, uh, I had a situation when I was working in my previous brokerage, um, that that they hired this this chick and she was amazing supposedly at sales like amazing and uh the vp of sales at the time was like all right well he was overwhelmed and he wanted to work on the business not in the business you know kind of something like what you brought up at uh on the truck and hustle podcast and so he was like all right take all my accounts and so like she ends up taking all of his accounts and like she's crushing it and like she's just getting all this money and all these loads and and i'm like everyone's shocked like why why is like shocked i mean everyone believes that she's just a great salesperson and able to get a lot of money and then like three months into it once the you know the invoices go out from the brokerage the customers and the customers start calling about discrepancies in the rate they realize that she was putting fake rates into our system and put like quoting half of what she was putting into our tms uh mm. and so the customers got really upset she ended up making commission because she got she got put on commission right away 
And overall, in a three-month period, the brokerage, the owners had lost, uh, they estimated around $300,000 from oh what, what she overquoted. Or uh, over or she what she you know and what she put in the system um, compared to what wait, she so the actually customer, wait so the customer the customer was like paying there was a lot that of customers much? no 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 the customers were not paying that much the customers so were she was half. being commissioned she was being commissioned yeah, for, as if they had as yeah. if they had whereas yeah, like yeah. they hadn't paid yet um, and oh it was and she had like all the, like the customers like she had like seventy percent of the business because like the VPSL was like here take it all so and uh, yeah so. Just a lesson for anyone listening. It's like do your due diligence and you know, like never trust someone until like you know you trust them kind of thing. It's um, so that's that's interesting. So I got a quick story. Then there's there's a BTB story I wanted to uh, lay out for crazy financial stories. But so former employer I was with, uh, somebody was planted in the accounting department. And what happened was there was contracted rates within the TMS. So to move from point A to point B was like $500. But this person was going back in the system and adjusting it for like $800 to pay to the carrier. And the carrier was knocking back a few bucks to the uh, accounting clerk. And it all went under the radar because it all was it was in the system, right? So how do you validate that? But finally, they said, man, why does, why is this account hemorrhaging money we feel like our costs should be down here but their costs are right here and then they did some background and they noticed one carrier in particular kept getting his rates modified and um, he was assigned loads that he shouldn't have been assigned to he was like number four in the waterfall but he was number one in bookings because the rates were being doctored down low to get him the load and then reapplied it was it was crazy but no go ahead was that a b2b no 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 that was a former employee i, I don't okay. want to Got it. Okay. It doesn't even exist anymore. Well, they sure. sort of, it might exist. They change names so much. But no, the B2B story. Here's a crazy, here's a crazy life, life lesson for the, you know, people that want to go and start a brokerage. And this is what attracts agents to B2B. So we had a landscape customer. It was actually brought to us by the same employee that stole from us. But after they were gone, we kept we retained this customer. We started moving a lot of freight with them. I mean, to the tune of you know, 40, 50 loads a day because they did the mulch, rock, dirt. You know, when you go to Home Depot, Lowe's and everything, and you buy that, you know, two for five, that was them. So we're racking up this huge tab and we have no idea what we're doing, establishing credit lines. We're just like, hey, this customer's been around. They sell a lot of mulch. Let's go, you know, let's make money. And so everyone's, you know, fat and happy. They think they're getting huge commission checks. And then the pay the payments are coming really slow, but the balance is growing. And we're into you know the 250, 300 category at this point. And we, you know, I start we start asking questions like, oh, we just get slow because retail they pay 90 days. Sound story. I know retail pays in 90 days. So I'm like, okay, well, we keep going, let's get through the season and it'll all balance itself out. So we're up to about four hundred thousand dollars in revenues. And about a quarter million in what we owe the uh, trucks. And then we start asking more questions like, hey, man, we're going to kind of have to put you on hold. Like, this is getting serious. We need to start seeing some checks. Like, they're coming, they're coming. Finally, we're, we we called our lawyer buddy. We're like, hey, you got to send a letter. We got to start getting threatening here. And uh, as soon as they deliver the letter, they called us and said, yeah, we're going bankrupt. And oh, so, the, so then the question comes down to, well, you know, we're like, two and a half years old at this point, three years old. And we're like, okay, well, like what happens now? And I was like starting to look for like a new house and, you know, things were going good. So, you know, needless to say, uh, they drug, uh, they had a $50 million bankruptcy. Uh, oh. The, the oh. real short story, because I'm not an accounting professional, but the short story is they were counting their land as inventory because they owned a bunch of fields, right? Where they would harvest trees for mulch and rock and dirt. And so they had, they claimed that $25 million in assets and $25 million in inventory. The problem was they were double dipping their assets and they were counting it as an inventory, not yet harvested. So the bank called their note and said, your line of credit is pulled. And they're like, okay, well, we don't, we're bankrupt. I mean, even the CFO went on stay, uh, on oath and said that, they don't even know if selling the bags of mulch and dirt were profitable. They have no way of knowing if they were profitable. <laughs> so 
they took us under. Uh, they didn't take us under, but they went under. And so we had to pay all the carriers because we're not going to go out of business. This is There's no plan yeah. B. So we paid $250,000. Me and my partner didn't take payroll for quite some time. Luckily, we had some saved up pretty quick. Um, I did not buy a house <laughs> right away. I, I stopped that search real quick. And uh, we got a phone call from a gentleman that said, hey, uh, you know, I see you're a top 10 creditor on this bankruptcy. We uh, did, did you see above one of your competitors is on there? And we said, yeah, we see the competitor and they were owed about 600 grand. Oh. And he goes, yeah, I'm writing them a check for 90% of that balance. How much are you getting? And I'm like, we might be lucky to see a thousand dollars out of it, you know, two cents on a dollar or something like that. He's like, yeah, you want to talk? And we said, yeah. And so what we have, which a lot of freight brokers I don't think have is receivables insurance. Mm. So instead of us using any of the standard credit agencies, which I don't even know the names of because I won't use them, um, who just give you credit reports, these people put their money where their mouth is. If I go to them with ABC Plastics and I say I need $50,000 for ABC Plastics, they they will tell me yay or nay. And if they say yes and ABC Plastics goes bankrupt you know, six months later and I have a credit, I have a balance of $50,000, I'm getting a check for 90% of it. Okay. Whereas other brokers will have to eat $50,000. So, you know, how does that correlate with agents? Well, in the agent model and read, you know, you know, this with um, your buddy at Armstrong, um, if, if a, an account, you know, if Armstrong doesn't have, and I don't know if they do or don't, but if they don't have the receivables insurance and yeah. ABC plastics goes bankrupt for 50 grand, your buddy owes 50 grand. Yeah. Yeah. We, um, we didn't have a situation like that happen, thank God. But there were a couple times when um, there were a couple times when some carriers did some shady stuff and um, things weren't delivered that should have been delivered. And I quickly realized I'm like, oh man, like because I was on the hook for stuff as an agent, right? And my my like if if you know we took a loss on a load, I was basically eating the entire loss myself. And when you're just a one man show like that, that can hurt like really bad, you know, and you don't yeah. even realize and, and, and I don't think a lot of people, especially and this might be why a lot of people stay either in, you know, agent or corporate, but mostly stay in corporate is because I don't think a lot of people realize like the financial risk and just the financial, just the financial side of things to actually run a brokerage, right, where you're where you're paying out carriers before you're being paid by shippers and you're floating a ton of cash like there's a lot of risk you know yeah. in, in doing that and i don't think a lot of i don't think people really realize that like a lot of especially especially people who are like oh why do brokers exist yada yada like why why are they here i'm like guys i don't think you, like you, you don't, get I don't think you realize what's going on like some customers don't pay for 90 90 days you know yeah. and like, well, I mean, it's crazy this right here this is my report. <clears throat> I, ever since um, ever since COVID, I keep a very you know I keep a, a good watch on my money. Right now, over forty five days. Okay, I only care about forty five day plus. I've got two hundred two open invoices for a total of two hundred seventy one thousand yeah. dollars. What asset operation is going to want to absorb that? That's not Schneider, you know, JB yeah. Hunt. Yeah, you know, yeah. Mod Pa can't absorb. I mean, they're not going to have that kind of balance anyways if they've got one truck, but. You know that, and that represents ten percent, roughly, uh, okay. of my total AR right now. So who who can let ten percent of their AR as a trucking company? And you have to go collect that too. Yeah, like that's yeah. work. That's work. That's manpower to collect that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think people don't get fire. that. They're just like, oh, everyone pays their bills on time. Like, <laughs> no, like, <laughs> how about no? <laughs> I mean, everyone I've also. I've heard that like brokers are also just like a like a bank for the shipper, like a credit line essentially, and that's like how brokers are operating, like a very like I mean zero interest credit line, because yeah. uh, you know especially the enterprise shippers paying ninety to one hundred twenty days, that just gets crazy. I'm curious, Matt, because you said about the receivables insurance, like what's the cost of that per load? Is it a per load structure? Like how does that look like? So I mean, yes and no. It, it's per it's based on revenue. So the more you do the cheaper per dollar it is, but this is all based on risk of revenue. Yeah. So 
what does this insurance company have at risk? They don't care about your profits. So it digs in your profits. So I pay about, um, what am I paying this year? About 2.7 points per thousand dollars. So basically I wrote a check for like $60,000. Okay. To have this plan. And it's at no cost to my agents. Um, I don't, I don't take that out of the split. You know, I pay standard splits, but I absorb that part. So agents are, agents are, um, from a customer default standpoint, they're protected from that side. Now, if they, if they accidentally book a, you know, a double broker that we all seem to love these days, um, that's risk on them still that the, the receivables insurance only covers customers default, not bad business decisions. Sure. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay, got it. So it is it is definitely expensive, and that's why a lot of brokerages tend to kind of like uh, disregard it. You know, just kind of take the risk on it. Uh, but like uh, from your personal experience, uh, you mean you're lucky and fortunate enough to have it when that company, which I I think was called Cornerstone, wasn't it? I, I was listening to the podcast yesterday. Uh, close, Country Stone. Country Stone. Country Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's my old name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was public uh, in knowledge you mentioned on on the oh, podcast. Yeah, that... um, okay, very interesting, uh, Matt. So you also uh, mentioned on the podcast that I listened to yesterday was about working on the business, not in the business, and you recommended this book called Who, Not How that kind of helped you strategize and kind of getting there. Can you take us through a little bit of how the beginning days looked like and how you were able to transition into more of a role where you're, you know, the business owner working on growing the business and kind of maybe some strategies and like that you've taken from the book and implemented stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, well, I'll kind of start with day one. Um, You know, in day one is just me and my partner. We were in the loft of my but my two college buddies' uh, auto business that was their side hustle slash garage for their car collections, and we just started up there with you know a basic phone system that had a couple options you know one for customers, two for dispatch, three for accounting. But you know no matter what number you hit, you're getting one of us. So sure. um, so we wore all the hats. But when we talk about like who not how. When we started hiring people, we we trained them across the board. I mean, our first couple of employees, one of which is still with us to this day, you know, they learned everything. You know, we taught them the basics of even opening the mail and looking at the invoices, understand what carriers are sending us, the POD, the lump of receipts, the rate agreements, read our rate agreements, understand what it says to protect us, but to also supply information to the drivers. So they did all that. So then we stopped having to open the mail. We stopped having to, you know, take loads off of hold so we could invoice them. And then as we progressed, we, you know, got into, you know, let's find someone that can do all of our payables. It was, you know, me and my partner doing the payables. It was, you know, me doing the receivables. And now we have our account department doing that. Uh, when we look at expanding sales, I was, you know, it was my customers that came over. And my partner was the carrier sales relationship. So he leveraged his name and reputation to try to convince try to convince the carriers not to make us prepay. Because, I mean, you start a freight brokerage today, good luck. I mean, it is going to be brutal out there with no credit. But my partner has a really good name. So it carried over. And my customers came with me. They liked me, not so much the prior brokerage. So they came with me. Uh, you know, and then expanding on that, when we learned about the agent oh, program, because I never knew about the agent program when I started BTB. Uh, I jokingly say when I'm doing my sales pitch to agents that if I knew that it existed, I probably wouldn't have started a brokerage. But here I am. Uh, I had to find Nancy and she's my who to make sure the agents know that we're there for them, that she is nothing but a phone call away. She will pick up at all hours of the night. If you need a comm check or something for one of your drivers, she'll take care of it. And that's, I mean, that's a premise. You just, you have to build it though. You don't, you don't get to, you know, I see a lot of people out there that talk about, you can start a freight brokerage and just get some, you know, offshoring, do some nearshoring, some offshoring and get these people and they'll do your sales. They'll make all your calls. That's not going to work. You know, you've got to do the work, you know, day one, and then you go from there and you build up your who from there. Oh, definitely. I think Nancy's the one who connected us, right? She is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we... We listen to, you know, I've been, I've been reading like your newsletter, listen to your podcast. Cause I, oh. I sit here and listen to podcasts all day since I don't have yeah. an employee to bother. But sure. um, yeah, so one of my employees turned me on to you uh, a while back. Okay. And 
Nancy follows you and she, you know, she connected us, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been great, you know, just watching you grow and, uh, you know, with your podcast and, you know, your newsletter is very informative. I actually share articles at times with oh, nice. my team about things. Awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for that. Um, yeah, Reed's also growing too. Uh, we've been working on a lot of stuff oh. uh, together. Have you have you seen Reed on LinkedIn at all, Matt? You know, I got I yes and no. I see. Well, I see, I see Reed's post on your newsletter. Okay, uh, okay. <laughs> but I, I'm not as active. I know next year my plan is to get a lot more active on LinkedIn. I'm not as active as I should be. Got it. Um, but but yeah. Cool, cool. Um, what were you gonna say, Reed? What? Uh, Dude, I, I, uh, everything you just explained uh, about starting a brokerage and all the things that make it hard, especially nowadays with you know the state of the market in general, how hard it is to win business, but also how hard it is to win business when a nobody knows who you are and you're a brand new company, and carriers aren't going to work with you because they're going to go. Most of them are going to go to their factoring company and they're going to say, "Hey, here's Joe Schmo Broker. Like, can I work with them?" And the factoring company is going to be like, "Uh, no." Uh, we're not going to take that risk. Like that's there's like reputation. And and I also think a lot about reputation in the industry because you alluded to your partner being, you know, having a reputation with carriers and being able to kind of leverage that to to get them to take loads for you guys. Um, I it's like how, that's that's no small feat. That's hard to do. You know, that's really hard to do. It, yeah. You know, it is. And I've. You know, I've been on the message boards. You know, I'm on like a Facebook group that I uh, just follow people that everyone wants to start a freight brokerage. I want to be a freight broker. Great. Do you know, like, where are you going to start? Where are you going to get your customers? And, you know, the best advice I've given on some of those boards are if you don't have shippers already, go work for somebody. Yeah. You know, this is tough. You know, I'm not saying don't start a freight brokerage down the road, but you don't get to start it tomorrow. I mean, it's it's going to be brutal. We're very, I mean, it is a very saturated market. It, you know, there are what 15, 20,000. I mean, no one really knows this answer, but there's like 20,000 plus MC numbers. Now, we don't know how yeah. many are active. It's all, I say that's yeah, impossible yeah. to figure out, but there's a lot. Let's be honest. And then yeah. when you've got a market that's down 40%, that's just going to add to the pool. And, you know, I'm all for people starting a company, but our barrier of entry is very low. And while it helped 12 years ago, it's still, it's too low. I mean, isn't the trade, isn't the middle ground between starting your own company and going to work for somebody just being an agent? I mean, isn't that the middle ground? Yeah, it, it can be. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And we've we've taken on in the past. Now, I will say this, um, you know, we don't really take on newbies anymore only because we've we've given that shot to many people and the success ratio is of very- being an of being an agent. Yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we, we, one of the other things I wanted to ask you was if you had ever hired somebody who had never brokered freight as an agent and had them be successful. So we have in the past uh, one of our agents, um, and I'll, I mean I'll even name them. I mean Hudson Freight. They they they're all over social media. He owned a box truck, and he mm-hmm. had his book of business uh, as a box truck owner. But him and his wife decided, hey, we want to be you know freight brokers. And so that's what they did. They came to us. They had a compelling story. Technically, they have no experience being a freight broker. Just you know, just because you drove a truck doesn't make you a good freight broker. Uh, while you can understand some of the terms, it, it is still a hard transition. Um, so, but they made the transition. But you know, behind them are just a slew of other people that just you know yeah. we don't. Here's the reality: I don't have the training platform at this time to really help make them successful. And for me to be able to offer the splits that I offer, I can't also invest a whole lot of time in training. You need to be a self-starter in me because we offer kind of a no-nonsense, no nickel and diming split. So the split I offer you is going to be the split you get, whereas there are other agencies that have a split, but when you actually do your math, it's it's not that. So, But in return, they might have more resources than I have. As far as to make you successful, where mine is more, you've got to be pretty much a self-starter. Got it. Um, I'm curious about what your thoughts are on the whole convoy downfall and the financial challenges that like digital freight brokers have been facing in this market. What's your take on that? You know, um, and overall, like, where do you see uh, 
I guess, the market going into 2024? And what are your, like, I guess, thoughts on where DFMs, what are uh, digital freight match maker match matches, whatever? Uh, where, where is that headed? And what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I got so many opinions about this. I mean, one, I feel bad for all the people, all the employees of Convoy that are losing their job over, you know, something that should have been, you know, groundbreaking and, you know, game changing or disrupting as everyone likes to use that word. Here's my un my uh, my unsophisticated opinion. Uh, I think FreightWave said it very nice and eloquently, but Convoy was overvalued. We all know that now through various articles, right? But I was saying yeah. that even before the articles came out, because the problem is how do you do what they do 1.8 billion in sales? How do you do 1.8 billion in sales as a freight brokerage? But somehow you're valued at 3.8 billion dollars. It doesn't add up. And what I say is they were being valued as a SaaS almost. Yeah. But you can't, because at the end of the day, you know, you take take my TMS. I, I It's not my TMS. It's an off-the-shelf product. Uh, I'm good friends with the owner of that TMS. But regardless, it's a product I'm paying for. So when I pay him my monthly access fees, he's got 100% of that cash. It's 100%. And he does with it what he needs to do. Now, if he runs his business so so great and so efficiently where 95% of that money is profit, great. You know, because that's compared to a freight brokerage. Customer pays the bill. I have to pay the truck. And generally speaking, that is 85% of the revenue. So I instantly lose 85% of that $1,000, we'll call it. Yeah. Now I need to run a brokerage with the rest. Well, with a SaaS... I pay that same $1,000 and that's $1,000 of gross profit, we'll say. And then from there, he's got to pay the bills and rent and you know payroll. Yeah. So you have Convoy that is just valued sky high. I have no idea what their EBITDA was, but I mean, at the end of the day, a, a company's value is based on a multiple of either profits, usually like a 3X or so, or... Mm -hmm. EBITDA, which freight brokers, last time I checked, well, because I'm not up for sale, so I, I, I'm I not checking the market today, but, you know, 10 to 12x of EBITDA. But somehow they were being valued at like 2x of sales. And that's just, you know, that's a recipe for disaster. Sure. Um, the the statement I've made for years, and in fact, my 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 agent, who's the former uh, Chicago Board of Trade trader, he called me the other day when Convoy failed. And he's like, you're right. I make the basic comment that I like I like technology. We embrace technology here at BTB. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, you cannot automate freight brokering. Not fully. You can make it more efficient for the human. But at the end of the day, a customer wants to yell at somebody. And you can't yell at your computer when Convoy misses your pickup. And if you peel the curtain anyways behind Uber and Convoy, you still have freight brokers behind the scenes moving freight that can't get digitally matched. So they were a fancy freight broker that unfortunately got overvalued. And that's why they sunk. You know, they couldn't find a buyer for their multiples because their yeah. investors invested too heavily. So, you know, my basic answer is uh, for the, for like Convoy is people like to yell at people. End of story. Um, the future... As far as 2024 is concerned, I mean, everyone's pointing to that. This is going to be a rough 2024. It's going to stay. Um, I think, it, you know, like any economy, there's going to be winners and losers. So while as a whole, there might be a losing mentality, um, there's going to be winners out of 2023, 2024. I mean, we're making headways, you know, in what we're doing, the soliciting that we're performing. Uh, as, as far as digital freight matching, we... We've tried some of it as well. I think it's a it's a tough pull because there's a lot of people trying to come into the field and it inundates drivers with apps that they have to download to find all their freight versus just going to like a DAT or truck stop and just making a phone call to a broker that they know. But having all these different apps that they have to have user IDs for and log in and find freight, it's daunting. And it's just the same thing with what they're doing off of DAT back in, you know, the 80s and 90s, sitting at a truck stop making phone calls. They're just doing it now from their cab on a phone, bouncing from app to app, trying to find that perfect load. 
it's got its place, but it's not going to replace me. Not in my, yeah. not in my. Sure. I agree with that. Mm. Reed, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, even if there's, there's certainly a subset of, and somebody said that, I don't remember who said this to me the other day, but it's like the, the, those companies need like set it and forget it easy freight in order for it to run kind of digitally touchless right but at the end of the day freight brokers account for something like 15 percent or so of like the total freight volume moved i think and like assets asset based like the big carriers are just way better at moving that that set it and forget it type freight like than than freight brokers are right they've got 85 like all of that freight is with them already you know what I mean? Yeah. So convoy is like trying to scrape scrape by and get, you know, and I asked this question. I was like, what percent of their of their freight is digitally booked? And I got answers all over the place. Like I got I, I don't even know what way is up. So who knows what what the real number is? But it's like if you're there's so many edge cases that like it, automating the edge cases is like basically impossible. And customers like to choke like they need a neck to choke. You know what I mean? And like you said, they can't choke the computer screen. They can't choke the Convoy app. Like they want to choke a person. So Convoy <laughs> inevitably hired people <laughs> because they realized customers wanted next to choke. And they also needed to like problem solve in ways their app couldn't. And yeah, I mean, it's it's it just kind of is what it is, man. It's crazy. Like we, well, we, we were so we were just drunk on cheap money, really. Like that's what yeah. allowed this to happen. <laughs> and well, let's be honest on customer mentality. Um, and I'm not a fan of doing this. I've had people approach me that they want, you know, like sales managers I've hired in the past and they want to perform this function of loss leaders, right? And I understand the yeah. concept of loss leaders. Retailers have loss leaders. Let's get you in for the paper towels, but we're going to profit from the toilet paper, whatever. The problem with a freight broker loss leader is that you think you're going to shape the mentality of a customer and you're just not. You know, if you swing in there with a bunch of VC money and then you attack a large Fortune 500 company's RFP with loss loads saying, I'm going to do this for a thousand, damn well known, I'm paying 1200 for the truck. Yes, you're going to gain market share on paper. But then when you go next RFP round with that same customer and then you go to 1300, well, now you're just stuck in the waterfall. Because somebody else might be more aggressive at that 1150 and they're able to cover for 11 or whatever the numbers are, you're not you're not going to buy this loyalty from the customer saying, oh, Convoy, yeah, I know last year you were 1,000 you just raised my rate by 30%, but I like you and I'm going to keep using you. Yeah. No, you lose that lane. Yeah. So now you just lose all that money during that RFP and you're not going to get it back. Yeah. Or unfortunately, what I think some people do, um, which I think really terrible to the drivers is you know they'll try to make their profits off the driver's back hey customer i'm going to charge you detention but hey there's such a technicality carrier i'm not going to pay you detention so now they're yeah profit. yeah, yeah. That, that's bs quite honestly i just read a story about it today it's complete bs and while i only know one side of the story the carrier side you know i've heard that practice all too often so yeah. either they're looking to profit off of accessorials or they think that they're going to buy some kind of loyalty and it just doesn't work that way. So that's why I've never been a fan of a loss leader. But that's also maybe why I'm not a $500 million broker 12 years later. I don't know. 500 million on paper, you know, not in reality. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, isn't the presence of a company like an entity like that, that is able to buy market share with no regard for profit. Isn't that like a bad thing? Like in the short term, medium term, it's a not a good thing for the market in general because it just distorts things because they can yeah. underquote customers and then they can overpay carriers. You yes. know what I mean? Like that's just not like somebody who's not subject to the same rules of the game, like kind of screws everything up for everybody else. So I mean, it's, when yeah, people it's not are sustainable. Like, people are like complaining on LinkedIn, like, oh, this is bad for the bad for the 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 freight broker, you know, world. It's like how? Like these guys were playing by different rules. And like, yeah. if you were on the, if you were, if you're on an RFP against Convoy and they have this stack of cash to just do whatever, and they don't care about making money. Like, how do you win in that situation? You win in the long run. You win in the long run. Yeah. But like in the I'm short term, here. you're like, yeah, exactly. You win in the long run, yeah. probably. But like, it, I don't know. It's, 
it can be um, disheartening, right? It, it, it bothers me, you know, because who knows how many RFPs I may or may not have been a part of that Convoy was involved in. So, yeah. you know, I'm up against something that just can't happen. And while it, it, it stinks, I, I think it just starts creating terrible mindsets because customers don't, they don't fully understand the cost of owning a truck. And while, and meanwhile, I don't either. I've never owned a truck, but I've been close enough with truck and company owners that they've been open with me and they tell me what's going on. We've got very good relationships with, you know, very longstanding truck and companies. And so I, I understand it enough. And, but customers, they just, they, they've got to answer to somebody, right? So when you are the logistics manager, the VP of logistics, whatever your title is, there's always somebody above you that you've got to answer to. And even in my job, when I had a job as a decision maker, I still had to give a monthly report to the president of our company. We we're a 50 employee company. And every month he wanted a logistics report. How much are we paying for warehousing per case? How much are we paying trucking per case? And if it got too high, I had to explain myself. So my job was a lower cost. And, you know, sometimes that meant getting the right carrier. And sometimes I meant getting the wrong carrier. And thankfully, I wasn't part of the really bad situation where a, dr a driver. Here's a funny story for you. This is this is about the time when contracts started coming out with indemnity and indemnity clauses for brokers. So I was already gone. Um, I had left that company for my first brokerage. But the replacement uh, for me hired the incumbent brokers, you know, to move a load. And the truck showed up one day super late, like end of day kind of stuff. And our warehouse in Itasca had two sets of docks, right? It had an internal dock, it's called, where there's dock doors for the actual loading. And then there's these external doors where a truck could fit in between. And then you could close it so that during the winter in Chicago, it's not as cold on the dock in the warehouse, right? Because you've got this open, you know, double wide door. So the truck pulls out, they close the external door, lock down for the day. This truck pops their brakes, backs into the door and takes it off its track. Guy freaks out, pulls away with the door on his trailer, stuck up and down the industrial park he's driving, trying to bang this door off of other trucks. Cops are called, police chases ensues. This guy ends up in an apartment complex, bangs it up against a bunch of cars, corners himself, pulled out by gunpoint. Turns out he was the cousin of the truck owner, does not even have a CDL. And then when the bill was handed to the broker to say, hey, uh, you know, we have like three grand worth of damage, uh, they didn't pay it. They said, oh, we're a broker. We're not, you know, subject to this, this carrier. Yeah, insurance. yeah, of course. So, wow. you know, sorry. And and then the indemnity clauses were born about that, that time. So, um this cool. funny story I wanted to share. What year was that, uh, Matt, when the indemnity clauses were born? About 2001 is when people really started seeing them, where they started gaining steam. That's when that American Health Products instituted one. Because 2001? Yeah, 2001 is when I went okay. to my first brokerage. Got it. Okay. So you've seen the industry for, I mean, so brokerage, what, came out like in the 1980s out of deregulation. And then, so kind of halfway point like 2001 so it just shows yeah. you like how evolving the industry is continuously oh, yeah. yeah uh where do you see it going like in terms like of uh, like the evolution of it um I, I was actually i was watching a youtube video yesterday about like the history of it um uh, of the whole like trucking industry and the deregulation that, that came i mean truckers used to be really well respected back before the industry was deregulated and um and they had, they made really good money. They had benefits. They like, and they were home almost every night. Um, and so it just like, it was really obviously biased towards that point of view, but I'm wondering, like, do you think we're going to be seeing more like regulation come back into the industry? What are your thoughts on that? I hope not. I mean, I think there's a lot of younger trucking company owners out there that they push for this regulation, but they don't understand even at the same time, regulations are very, it's very, in my opinion, communistic. I mean, you had to buy your routes, you had to pay for the routes and the rate was the rate. Yeah. Whereas today through proper negotiation and relationships, you can still get better rates. You don't have to, you know, get paid the bottom of the barrel, find the right brokers that have the right freight, that have the right mentality to approach a situation, 
you know, th- this is cyclical, right? Everyone is really hell bent on rates right now because we're in a down market. But, you know, with 25 years of experience, I can tell you it's cyclical. You know, a couple of years ago, there wasn't a single truck driver complaining about broker transparency, about the rates being in the in the toilet, right? But they're complaining about it today. And I get it. But it's going to change. and It'll balance out. Um, I, I just, I don't see, regulation isn't a solution to this. It's just having your business ran properly. I don't think any trucking company should be running off of a broker mentality. They, you, you can't find your, you can't run a business off your load boards. You have to find customers as well, direct shippers. Um, one, you're going to learn what cash flow is all about, you know, with a direct shipper. But two, you're going to get the better rates, you know, because even if you do a rate for what a broker's charging, you're still going to be making more money than if you take the load from me because yeah. I have to make some profit at the end of the day. So sure. you have to solicit customers. You have to have your own customer base and then depend on the broker to get you back to home base. Yeah, makes sense. Um, awesome. Uh, Reed, any follow-up questions on that? No, man, I, I think um, I think you're spot on. I don't, uh, I don't think, I, I guess one thing is like, when I was an agent, I had a customer, I, I had a couple of customers that I would ask, I asked this question. It was like, how many times have you had a small fleet, like proposition you like come in, knock on the door, or try to get your business. And one of my customers said, like, she'd been there for 10 years. She's like, maybe five times ever that's yeah. happened. I'm like, how many calls do you get from a broker a day? And she's like, I don't know, 50 a day. It's yeah. like more cost, more brokers hitting her up in half a day than carriers have ever like asked her for a business. Yeah. And I, and this is like a big shipper and not, not a big shipper, but like a, a, like a, like a big shipper for being a mom and pop. And they would be fall over backwards to work with somebody in their neighborhood. You know what I mean? And yeah. I just don't think carriers like have the sales mindset all the time, but there are definitely, I'm, I'm meeting more and more fleet, small fleet owners who do, and they're kind of killing it. So I, I think that there's, there's more to come on that. I think. As more people figure it out, yeah, you know. So I was at Freight Fest uh, this year, and I met some trucking company owners, and just the mind on them is great to see. Because if you live your life on the message boards on Facebook and the groups, I mean, it's just this—it's like the scum. I mean, they're just out there just bitching the bitch because they want to yeah. be heard. They think yeah. they're right. But when I was in the room down in Houston, I was having some very intelligent, just great motivational talks with people and the way they're talking. And they go after customers. I even coached a guy once. He had like five trucks in Atlanta. He's like, I want to be an agent because I." his excuse was, I want to stop using brokers. They just take advantage of me. I'm like, how many customers do you have? None. I'm like, well, that's your problem. I'm like, you are, you are allowing a broker to take make their just deserved profit. But you would make more money if you just took 50% of your yeah. you know, customers. You got to deal with cash flow, but you're going to make more money. I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, like to your point, Reed, if I started a trucking company today, you bet your ass I'd be talk- knocking on doors of warehouses. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Um, awesome. Well, uh, Matt, thanks so much for coming on our show, show today. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, yeah, appreciate you having me. Yeah, definitely.